Alrighty, we're back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf, Leaf Radio. I'm the host of the most, the king of the quarantine, Jimmy Falcon, and we are back and absolutely honored to welcome Bill Kennison to the show. How are you, Bill? Doing good, Ian. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Where are you, where are you broadcasting out of? I am about 45 minutes south of Champaign. Alright, well, that was my old stopping grounds. Central oh. Illinois. Oh, yeah, and I was curious, uh, that it's part of my first question, what it was like growing up in Peoria and, and attending, of course, uh, the University of Illinois. Well, growing up in, in uh, Peoria, actually, well, we did live in the projects in Peoria. Oh, wow. Oh, till I was probably about 10, and then uh, we moved on up and uh, lived in the church in East Peoria that my dad pastored. And uh, we lived there till it was pretty much grown. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, now Sam used to do a routine about, you know, he could he could stay in Peoria, lose half his teeth, and uh, get a job at Caterpillar, or he could come to California and be a comedian. So he felt like he made the right decision. Yeah, I think people still find it hard to believe that he was actually a Pentecostal preacher, and, of course, you and your brothers and your father as well. It seemed like a family thing. Yeah, it was kind of the family business. Even though we were never encouraged uh, by our dad to uh, get in the ministry, matter of fact, he he told me, uh, "I want you to go to go to college and do anything but preach, and then if you can't be happy, then be a preacher." Uh-huh. And so uh, that's pretty much what I did. I'm sure it's worked out pretty nice for you. Yeah, yeah, I had a good life. Well, besides that, you were also Sam's manager, even produced some of his shows. How did all this come about, you become uh, working with him? Uh, well, oh, he, uh, at 25, he uh, caught his uh, wife in, a, uh, in an affair, and uh, he went to, uh, in, in our circles, Pentecostal circles, you know, that's real strict, mm-hmm. uh, that, that was the death nail for for preachers, that was the unpardonable sin is if you got a divorce. And so he was through in the ministry. Uh, I was pastoring in Rockford, Illinois at the time. And uh, he came up there and he was about as low and devastated as I'd ever seen him. And so uh, he told me what all happened. And then I said, well, and I always felt like the Sam only was in the ministry because of my dad. You know, he was named after my dad and and uh, everything and so I said well I want you to forget that your brothers are preachers and your dad was a preacher and your friends are all preachers I want you to look down in your heart and find out what you've always wanted to do and I thought he'd take you know a few days and he took about five seconds and said I always want to be a stand up comedian and so I said well then uh, set a date and after that date don't preach uh, ever Again, because if you go back, you're going to keep going back. And that's what he did. He went down to Houston and uh, started getting in comedy and uh, was there for two years. Was the Both years he was in Houston, he was the Texas Comedian of the Year. And then went out to the comedy store with uh, six other comedians, including Bill Hicks, uh, Yakov Smirnoff, mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, some pretty good ones. Except Sam was like their their. Mom. 
and uh, so he uh, they got out to California. And we all thought that you know Sam would he just hit, and uh, Mitzi saw him at the comedy store, went up and showcased, and I remember him uh, her come or him coming to her booth afterwards, and she said, "You're not funny." Mm-hmm. I tell you what, I'll give you a job as a doorman, and you can see how the pros do it. And so uh, this guy that she thought wasn't funny, uh, he worked as a doorman for five years and uh, had built up an underground following of uh, street people, celebrities, porno stars. And she'd hold him off till 2 o'clock in the morning because he would fill the club. And uh, then Rodney Dangerfield talked us into going to New York and the rest of it was, was history. So the way that I got involved was, uh, I I was pretty much Sam's father figure. I had, I pretty much raised my brothers, and uh, he had kept asking me to manage him. Well, there wasn't anything to manage, but I would come out whenever, you know, someone was interested or whatever. I'd fly out, and uh, usually it wasn't anything. And uh, then I. One day, uh, one Sunday morning, I was taking a shower and pastor in a great church in Rockville, Illinois. And while I'm taking a shower, it was just like something inside of me went, you know, it's time to do something else. And uh, so I remember telling my wife on the way to church, this is going to be my last service as a pastor. And uh, she said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, we'll go out to California for, we've got enough money to last us a couple of years out there and uh, try to manage Sam and Sam hit about six weeks after I got there, but it wasn't because of me. It was really because of Rodney and that's how I started managing him and managed him till he uh, died. Wow. That had to be something interesting, a wild roller coaster. I'm sure. (laughs) Well, it was, uh, it was never boring, never boring. And I end up with shingles. I end up in divorce mm. and uh, everything else. And Sam was a handful. I I used to tell him, man, I don't manage you. I'm a babysitter. <laughs> so I'd like to see what I could actually do with your career. But I said, I'm having to, uh, I'm having to put out fires every day just to, just to keep you going, which was pretty much, pretty much the truth. But I also did a great job of managing him and making business decisions and things for him. And if I had it all to do over again, I'd do the same thing. You even uh, took a drug uh, rap for him. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I didn't even drink. And we were at LAX, and uh, I was putting together a deal, or trying to put together a deal with MTV, and we were calling it the party train. And what it was is Sam would go from uh, the East Coast to the West Coast, and uh, on the way... He would, uh, he'd have bands with him like uh, uh, Bon Jovi or Guns N' Roses or, you know, they all wanted to hang with Sam. And so he would have different concert places on this where they would stop on the train and, and Sam would do a show with one of these big bands. And uh, so the DEA was tapping our phones and we didn't know that. You didn't have cell phones back then. And they 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 thought we was putting together a drug thing, like like Sam needed to sell drugs on the road. 
Wow. And uh, so they set up a sting at the airport when we was getting ready to fly out, take a red eye to Cincinnati and start a 40 city tour. And uh, now I won't go into all the detail, but uh, eventually they got to uh, Sam's black carry on bag. And uh, they were asking on all the luggage, you know, will you sign this waiver for us to check your luggage? Uh, if not, then we'll keep you here until we get a, a, a search warrant. And so they got this black bag, which was Sam's, and he goes, oh, Bill, they want to know if they can check your, check your luggage. Mm. And I go, what, what do you got? And he said, I got a little bit of pot. And so I go over and tell this sergeant, all right, this black bag is mine, and, and uh, there's a little bit of pot in there I smoked. I smoke out to go to sleep on the tour bus and stuff. And so the sergeant tells me, he was the one that was head, head of this this uh, setup. Anyhow, he tells me, oh, don't worry about it. It's $150 fine, misdemeanor. So I said, all right. Well, they opened up the bag, and <laughs> it was over two ounces. It was the size of a soccer ball. Oh, my gosh. And so all of a sudden, I was facing three felonies. Mm. And... Uh, so I went into the drug intervention program, and now you got to remember, I didn't even smoke. Forget about doing any drugs. I mean, I didn't even drink. Forget about smoking pot or doing blow or anything else. I, I just never, ever did it. And uh, so I did five months in a rehab. Wow. And that was a lot of fun in California. <laughs> Especially when I was the only white guy there. Oh, my gosh. Well, what compelled you to write Brother Sam, The Short Spectacular Life of Sam Kennison? Well, I figured with the kind of life that he had, uh, somebody's going to write a book. So I wanted to be accurate. And I immediately, when uh, when he got killed, I immediately had uh, agents, you know, want to represent me on writing a book. And uh, so that's why, that's why we wrote the book and... Uh, at first, uh, especially like Sam's wife, Malika, I was, you know, I was really making her look good. And then I finally came in with the guy that was uh, co-writing it with me. And I go, I can't do this, man. Either either I tell the truth and I tell what was really, you know, what was, what was really the real. But I'm not going to do it. And so we decided, let's just do it. And that's what we did. So I thought it'd end up being a great book. Wow. And as well, uh, you appeared and were involved in Polly Shore is Dead. What was that like? Uh, oh, you were talking about this movie? Yeah. Yeah, I think that went straight to video, didn't it? I believe so. Yeah, I think it did. <laughs> I love Polly, and, and we're still close friends to this day, but... Uh, you know, he had a good run in movies and stuff. Then when he started trying to do his own, they, they pretty much just went to video. Uh, it was, you know, I knew Paulie, Sam and I knew Paulie from when he was 12 years old. And uh, so we watched this kid grow up at the comedy store and Sam had a real, you know, a real heart for him. And, you know, because if you can imagine being that little and growing up in your teens and all the drugs and everything else, you know, around and, you know, Mitzi having different boyfriends that would come home and 
whatever. I mean, that was tough. That was tough. So we, Sam kind of took him under his wing. And, uh, and so he was doing this movie and he called me and said, Hey, I want you to come down and do, do a little part in this movie. So I said, all right. So that's what I did. It was, it was all improv. He didn't have a script for the movie. He just kind of would tell everybody what the, what the theme was. And then you just went out and did it. Wow. Yeah, I have so many of his films, love a lot of his stuff. He was really one of the kings of the 90s. You know about Polly? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Funny thing was, you know, when he was on MTV, uh, they said, and, and and everything else, you know, he was 18 years old, so all the kids would like him, and he was actually 25. Wow. And, and I'm going to tell you, Polly, the way he talks... Everything else, that is him. That's not that's not a put on or anything else. From the time we've known him, he's he's always kind of made up his own language. <laughs> and great. a good good guy. I mean, he's grown now. He's like fifty, but uh, good guy. He was a good guy. Still is. I, he's coming to San Antonio in September to call me, and I told him I'd come over and meet him. No, that'll be nice. Yep. And uh, one final question. After all these years, nearly 30 since he's been gone, how would you like Sam to be remembered? Oh, I think Sam pretty well set his legacy. Uh, he was a uh, trailblazer for sure. He was uncompromising. And uh, every uh, Sam, Sam never wrote a routine. People didn't know that, but he never wrote a routine. And every night was different. We did 280 shows a year. And one of the reasons I think I enjoyed it so much is, is that every show was different. It was whatever was going on that night. He was a genius uh, storyteller. And he could make anything funny. I remember one of his first routines was the starving children. The starving children and uh, Sam, you know, doing that whole thing about... Uh, you know what this is? This is saying. You know what's going to be a hundred years from now? It's going to be saying. <laughs> and uh, so I told him afterwards. I said, "Well, if you can make fun of, of starving children and make people laugh, you better be funny, or you're going to be out of this business." But he he was. He could he could make anything funny. And I think the I think uh, most of the comedy experts or whatever you want to call them, uh, they they say Sam is in the top five of all-star, I mean, of all-time stand-up comedians, and I totally agree with them. Oh, definitely. It was very, very funny. Bill, thank you so very much for joining us today, and uh, good luck with uh, everything that uh, comes your way in the future. Well, thank you, and uh, I am a former U of I, a Lion-Eye student, and... Uh, had a good time there, and I still love that area. We don't get back there as much as we used to, but I still love, uh, you know, Central Illinois. That's that's where we grew up at, and I sure appreciate you having me on the show. Oh, it's an it was an honor, and it's always nice talking to a fellow Central Illinoisan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have a great night, Bill. Thanks again. You too, brother. Have a good night. All righty.